0: All right, you guys. Let's uh, come back to our seats. We're going to be going through Mark 9 today. Mark 9. I want to pray really quick. So, Father, we just pray that you would bless this study of your word, that you would speak to us through your word. I believe that you have, um, in your eternal word, you have something specific for us for this day, and I pray that we would hear it, and that we would be open to hearing it, and that we would act on it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for coming, guys. We're in the middle of studying the book of Mark, and like I said last week, we're only on chapter 9, but I feel like we've been do you know, we've covered so much ground, I feel like, you know, we're on like chapter 40, but there's not 40 chapters in Mark, so... Sorry, I'll stop saying silly things. We're a little tired today. We had homecoming yesterday, so that's a new thing that we're getting adjusted to. So you can pray for me. Um, I don't think I made a slide for this quote, but Mark chapter 9 has a whole bunch of stuff in it, uh, like all these chapters do, and sometimes these things kind of wrap up. I don't know if you've noticed the last couple weeks, we'll go through it and be like, wow, that all kind of, all these very different things kind of said something in common, and this chapter does something like that, uh, but not as cleanly in some ways. And so what we're going to do is just go through each one of these little um, stories that happened and then um, draw a couple major points from it. But I, had to, I ran into this quote this week, and I don't think I made a slide for this, so I'll just read it to you. And it's a, from a missionary named Leslie Newbegin, who I quote sometimes. This guy uh, I like a lot. If you go, what kind of things do you think like? Just go find this guy and read his books. This is <laughs> this is where my mind tends to be um, as a Christian leader um, from several generations ago. But he says this, it is less important to ask a Christian what he or she believes about the Bible than it is to inquire what he or she does with it. I'm going to read that again. since says I don't have a slide. It's less important to ask a Christian what he or she believes about the Bible than it is to inquire what he or she does with it. And... This, in a way, is saying, again, to me, something like talk is cheap, you know, or even like thinking is cheap or clicking share or like on a thing is cheap. But what do you actually do with this? How do you actually put, you know, how did this actually matter in your life at all? You know, this is what I talked last week about word made flesh and stuff like that, that we need to be people where... There's there's no gap between those two things, you know. Like, we don't make all these claims about God and don't live out any of them. Like, we should be living them out so much that everybody's like, oh, yeah, I can see that, or I totally under. Yes, that's exactly what I would have said as well, this kind of thing. And uh, that doesn't mean everybody will like us all the time or like everything we say or do, but it at least means there's consistency and, you know, honor and all that kind of thing. And that, that this fits into this because the main thing that I see recurring in some of these stories today is... This idea of greatness, you know, in this story we're going to see that Jesus, that God is establishing that Jesus is the greatest, that this is the thing. But then he also talks to us about being great and that being great is a good thing and wanting to be great is a good thing. But you've got to define great by God's definition and not by ours. That tends to be where we go wrong. Um, so let's just get right into it. Uh, the very first verse ties into uh, some of what they were talking about the last week, but then it also gives a hint about what comes up. So he says, and then he said to them, "Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power." And it was and when Jesus talks in other places about like the kingdom of God is in your midst, something's about to happen. Where just last week, the whole beginning part of the book, they're trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is, kind of like how a lot of us had to. Like, is this is he really who he says he is, or was it? You know, and, and these guys they were jewish believe they, they were jewish people they'd lived in a jewish culture they had a jewish expectation of the messiah to come and they had a lot of things that they expected that person to do and jesus was doing some of those things but some of them he was doing in ways that were different than people thought or that they expected so it was confusing they weren't 100 percent sure and then last week peter's like i know who you are and jesus responds at least you know it's like this, this has been revealed to him by the holy spirit and all this kind of thing and uh it's a big deal. That was like what I said last week was the big reveal. But now it's going to be revealed in a different way. And if you have a Bible, it might say something, the transfiguration above this next section starting in verse 2. And in a way, you'll start to see this kind of is a summary of our whole year. We've been, we journeyed through the whole book of Exodus earlier this year. And this summer, we studied Elijah and Elisha. And then this is something that happens um, Verse two, after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there he appeared before and there appeared before him Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. So here we have all of the things we've been studying this whole year, all in one little group. Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. Sitting there talking together, transfigured meaning like it's like saying he's changed. He's like now glowing and stuff. So if you were there, you'd be like, "What? What just happened? You know, this is not a normal day, right?" And then you're seeing two people who are like superheroes to your, you know, the people, you know, your group, standing there talking to Jesus, and you're like, so it's overwhelming. And then Peter responds. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then he says this. I like this parenthetically. Because he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. So he's like, I'll just say something. I got, this is the best I got, but it's not that great. But, you know, <laughs> which we could stick on that for a while, but it doesn't matter. You know, we always like to put God in a box of some sort, but we'll move on. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice from the cloud and a voice came from the cloud. Remember, Moses saw God in in this sort of way, and then Elijah saw God in this sort of way, and then here he is again. But what does he say? This is my son whom I love. He's talking about Jesus there. Listen to him. That's it. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what risen from the dead meant. (laughs) And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first, and he restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? So he's starting to explain to them a little bit about what that rise from the dead means, which he'd already spoken to them plainly about last week, if you remember. And then verse 13, he says, But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him. And he's talking about John the Baptist is explicit in other Gospels. But when he says they've done to him everything they wished is what Bree talked about where um, he was killed. And so this first piece of this whole puzzle today is that God is establishing, God himself, God, cloud God, is saying Jesus is the greatest. Like, Even among the greats of the greats, this is, he's the greatest. You know, you got Moses, you got Elijah. This is like, in a way, a picture of the, the law, the prophets, all of this. He, the, Jesus is the greatest. And he's making that an exclamation point. And um, that's, what he wants, that's what he wants everybody to see. And the the thing that always sticks to me is that his instruction is, this is it, guys. He is who he says he is. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. This is the one you've been waiting on. And then he gives him this instruction, listen to him. And in my Bible, there's an exclamation point there. So this is going to be kind of our go-to. Listen to him. And the question, are you listening to him? And... uh, we're going to see how that plays into the rest of these pieces because they get, they, get, they get interesting. So they come down, right? So they were up on a mountain. God does this amazing thing. A cloud appears. There's been light. So you would be different had you gone through this experience. You'd be like, whoa, you know. But then you come down back into the real world, right? Like you've been on the mountaintop experience. Now you're coming back down to the real world where real things are happening, right? And verse 14, when they came... To the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. So it's like immediately, some of you have had this experience where something God does, something is awesome, it's great, and then like immediately you get back to your life and like everything is messed up. Right? right? Like there's a crowd arguing. It's like, oh good, let's go back to that from where we were in like the presence of God with the you know the lights and all the awesome stuff. But now we have to go back to the arguing crowd. Some of you <laughs> Let the reader understand. You know, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And then he says, what are you arguing about, arguing with them about? That's what Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered this. Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And then this, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Then Jesus replies this way, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately threw the boy into a convulsion and fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And I always in my mind I see this. So they to scare everyone, you know, they bring the boy and the spirit sees Jesus and starts making a scene, right? A big scene, and like Jesus, kind of looks not disregarding the child; he cares a lot about the kid. But the scene, the demon is making a scene, right? Right. He's just he's just he's trying to get everybody's attention, scare everybody. Oh, there's always it's this, this kind of thing, and Jesus looks at the dad and asks him this. Jesus asks the boy's father, "How long has he been like this?" Which I see this all, and he's like, "How long has he been like this?" You know, from childhood. He answered, "It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I really love the honesty here. Remember, we talk about, like, talk is cheap. This guy's being f- for real, you know. I brought my, like, I, w- I, had m- I really had my hopes up that you were who you said you were. I brought my son to your guys, and they failed. So I'm starting to have some, you know, are you just like everybody else that fails? There's a frankness to all this. Jesus, but Jesus is frank right back. He's like, if you can, Jesus said, or said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything. Immediately, the boy's father explained this, which I, I love this too. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And this goes back again to that, listen to him. Like, Jesus is saying very plainly, you know, Everything is possible for the one who believes. And he's like, I believe, but I also sort of don't yet, you know. And we should take a lot of comfort from this because, uh, I don't know about you, but I live here a lot, you know, and it's not always just a switch. I think always there's like, faith, no faith, faith, no faith, faith, no faith, you know, like this kind of thing. And I really think it's probably more like a dial where it's like, I mean, I I see it. I believe it. Like, he knows, he's like, I know you're not a normal guy, and I I, I believe what other people are saying, but we've been through a lot, and I don't know if I can go through it again, you know? And so there's a way to voice all of those things at the same time and be like, I'm halfway there. Can you help me with the rest? And the comforting part of this is that Jesus doesn't go, get out of here, you loser. He's like, yes, I will, you know? Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. There's the honesty in all of that. When Jesus saw the crowd, was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently, and he came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after, this, after Jesus had gone indoors, his, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? which is a very valid question. When you start dealing with spiritual things, spiritual things happen, and you have to... Like, this is a very practical question in my mind. You know, why didn't this happen? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out but only by prayer. Some translations say prayer and fasting, and that slide says the word prayer by itself. Oh, gosh. But the... um, he replied, this kind can come out, but only by prayer and fasting. And this is another good thing to kind of keep in mind, that like the other thing, approaching all this stuff like it's a switch, like faith, no faith, faith, no faith, cast out. No, it's like, there is kind of a uh, learning to this. And it's not 100% clear exactly what this means, the prayer and fasting. Like, does it mean specifically praying and fasting for this thing? Probably. Does it mean that you as a person doing it need to be, Prayed up, they would say, or fasted, like you know, like maybe, probably both. I don't. I mean, it's not totally clear, but the idea that 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 there's a relationship and an involvement that we have with these things. It's not just a Jesus isn't like a magic wand, you see. To some extent, our involvement in it has an effect on all of this, including our lack of faith and including our uh, you know unbelief, as this guy did, you know but having faith in the name. This is the thing we're going to come back to in a second because this demon possession thing keeps coming up, including in this chapter. But Jesus now, he's been established by God Very clearly, as the Messiah, listen to him. And they come down, and there's a demon that nobody else can get out, even in Jesus' name. And he's like, come out of this. So again, another establishment of who's the greatest. Jesus is the greatest, all right? So we're there, and Jesus is trying to explain to everybody, okay, as the Messiah, as the greatest guy, i got to tell you some things that are going to happen. And he goes into this, verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know they were there, (laughs) because it's crazy. These crowds keep coming, you know. Because he was teaching his disciples, and he said to them, the Son of Man, who's referring to himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now, we all know this, but you have to put yourself into, like, hearing this for the first time. That didn't—that doesn't sound like the kind of things that they were expecting to hear, you know. They're like, I thought we were, aren't you healing people? Aren't you bringing people back? Like, what, I don't... Why are you, you know, it's, it's, it's jarring, some of this stuff. If you remember, Peter rebuked him last week when he said the same sort of thing. But Jesus is being very clear. Again, clear. Listen to him. Listen to him. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he, he asked them, What are you arguing about on the road? So, He tells them this very frank thing about himself, the greatest one. Here's what's going to have to happen. He's going to suffer and he's going to die, meaning him. He's like, I'm going to suffer and die. And they're like, I don't get that, but I'm too scared to ask you. And then they go from there to another place. And on the way, they're arguing about something. Jesus hears them. So he asks them when he knows, what what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. So there we have this again. So Jesus is like, he's been established. He's the greatest, you know. But then these guys are arguing, who's the greatest? And it's like, you know, which one of us is the greatest? You know, like, can I be like his vice greatest guy or assistant to the regional greatness guy? You know, and uh, this kind of thing. So they're embarrassed. They get called out by Jesus that they've been arguing who's the greatest. But he knows that they need to know this thing. So, so sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be the first must be very last and the servant of all. Remember, listen to him. He's like, listen to him. Like, if you want to be the greatest, that's a good thing. Here's how to do it. You have to be the very last and the servant of all. And he's not putting himself outside of that. He's like, this is for you guys. This isn't for me. Like, I do do other great stuff. You guys, you know, he's like, he just literally said, this is what I'm going to do. And if you want to be like me, come and do it with me the servant of all. And he took a little child and placed among them, taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever come, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And at that time, kids were like, you know, they weren't exactly high on the social spectrum. And there was a lot of, you remember other stories in the Bible, like, you know, get these kids away from Jesus and this kind of stuff. And some of those are from the other gospels of the same moment, you know, And like in Matthew, you see, he called a little child to him and he placed a child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such such child in my name welcomes me. And so he's making a countercultural point that if you want to be the greatest, be a servant of everyone and also like a kid and they're like what you know and you might be thinking you know like doesn't paul talk about this and you're like yes he does i'll go ahead and give it to you said first corinthians 13 this is what paul says he goes when i was a child i talked like a child i thought like a child and i reasoned like a child when i became a man i put the ways of childhood behind me or of them say childish things behind me so you're like i don't get it okay so are we supposed to be like a child or are we not the answer is yes, and here's the deal. What we're going to do is we're going to just, for the sake of this conversation, make a distinction between what we're going to call childlike or childish, ish being the one that Paul was talking about. I put childish ways behind me, and I became a man, but Jesus is saying you have to be like like a child to even enter the kingdom, at least in the Matthew version, you know, or that this... There's a, there's a welcoming of the childlikeness in the same as you are welcoming God into your presence. You're like, what is this about? This childlike versus childish? Because childish is bad. Childlike is good. And I'm going to give you these kind of definitions. This is just my interpretation, but it's not like unique to me. I'm just, I didn't copy these definitions. So you're, there's probably a lot more you could say about each one of these things. When I put childish, like the things Paul's putting behind him, is like self-oriented, and another one that came to me is, like, easily fooled and argumentative. These were the things that I came up with for childish. And there's probably hundreds of things, you know. Versus childlike, the thing that I think they're, they're, they're saying there is two big things stuck out to me is somebody who is freely admitting and very well, well aware mentally in every way dependent on God or dependent, right? You even, like, if you file your taxes, dependent, you know, We're all in that dependent category on God if we're childlike, right? A lot of us are like, no, 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 no. I'll pay my own way. I'll take care of it. You know, that's that's the kind of stuff that Jesus wants to get out of us. And I know dudes kind of struggle with this a lot because we don't want to, you know, it's like I don't want to admit that I need help with things. And you're like, well, that's literally how this whole thing starts. You know, we have to get comfortable admitting that there's nothing left if we don't have him. That's it. And it's okay. It's actually the beginning of entering the kingdom or like welcoming God in your presence is to know that, that everything we have, everything we are, all of the good is fully dependent on him. And it's okay because it's true for everybody. Like there's no, like anybody that's playing some other version of that is just lying and that's fine. They can do that, but I don't even have to listen to them, you know? But there's another side to this too of childlikeness is really good. And I think that it's, you see it somewhat in the, the story of the dad and the kid, just the demon possessed kid is that there's a wonder to childhood, you know? Like, when you say to an adult, everything's possible for one who believes, they're like, okay, sure, but like, really? Did he really say everything? I mean, like, surely there's a lot of things that aren't, right, like, I got a list, I mean, it's not this, is it, or that, I mean, what about the situation in my life? This seems kind of impossible to get fixed. So he's not talking about that, right? Or he just means, like, I'll feel better about the bad things in my life, right? Like, that's what he's meaning. Like, not everything, right? And then you do that for years or whatever. And the kid just goes, Oh, cool. <laughs> that's good. That's a childlike goodness, you know? And it doesn't mean the kid goes, but you, The adult could say, Yeah, but you don't even know what you're talking about. And they can go, yeah, I know, but he does, it seems like. I mean, shouldn't we trust him? I mean, isn't he God after all? Seems pretty easy, doesn't it? Like, God is here. Listen to him. Everything is possible for those who believe. It's like, got it. There's this wonder. But you have to have an openness to this, that, like, there's a cynicism that closes you in. And the older you get, the more life you have. And you can get, you know, you need that childlikeness. And I think the prayer that the guy says, I believe, like, I still got some. I could still sort of see but, like, help my unbelief. Like, there's a lot of life I've lived through. And that guy doesn't, he's got, like, some serious things to talk about. He's like, I got a kid who's suffering from evil things, and nobody can help. Even people that are, like, supposed to be able to can't. So don't talk to me about, like, well, you're just, you're uncomfortable. He's like, this is not anything like that. I have a real situation I'm dealing with here. But my, my child is suffering. Can you help me or not? All right. There's a frankness to all of this. And Jesus is like, yeah. And he's like, okay. I believe you. I still have some hope, but there's a lot of stuff that's crowding out. Can you help me with that? And God's like, yeah, I'll help you with that. And so I, I just want to stop and pray. So, Lord, I pray that those of us that have suffered from losing our childlikeness, Lord, that you would restore that within us, that we would be free to fully rely on you in every way as you would ask. I mean, is, you, is this the only way to enter your kingdom? But then also, Lord, I pray that you would give us back that wonder to who you are and to trust you when you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. That's probably the most important thing I think that we need to take away from today. <laughs> but it keeps going. Verse thirty-eight. Teacher said, "John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he's not one of us." It's like, great guys. Okay, don't do not stop him. Jesus said, "For no one who does a miracle in my name." can in the next moment say anything bad about me for whoever is not against us is for us truly i tell you anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the messiah will certainly not lose their reward there's a we're going to talk more about this at the end but there's a there's an interesting thing where we want to it's like this dance you know the moment Jesus does it, like, wow, yeah. And then, like, can we put up, a, like, a box for you to go in? You and Moses, and we can box it up, and we can, I got it. You know, or, like, you know, he's driving out demons. It's like, okay, he's like, well, these other people, they're not part. So, like, let's box that off. Let's get it, you know. You know this, this, we told him to stop, but Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Because there's going to be people in my life, people in your life, they're going to take some of this stuff that we're saying at a childlike face value. God's going to do stuff in their life. And you're going to be facing them like, but, but you don't fit in the box I've made yet. You're not one of us yet. This is a, <laughs> this is a real struggle, guys. And uh, Jesus is like, come on. Like, there's this re- we'll, we'll talk more about it at the end. But there's this really strange thing that happens when people from the outside start to believe God way more than those of us that are on the inside, you know? And I could share other people's tests. Maybe we'll talk about it in a minute. But we need to have a wider eye to see God's activity. That was the note I wrote. And then it gets really serious, like really serious. Verse 42, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in my name or those who believe in me, to stumble, which would include children but, or childlike people, childlike adults, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble it would be better for them for a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea you're like wait what but don't like it keeps going and if your hand causes you to stumble cut it off for it's better for you to enter enter life maimed than with two hands go into hell where fire never goes out And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Whoa. What he's talking about here is the seriousness of sin in our lives and the need to repent for clarification, he's using what you call like hyperbolic language to describe the seriousness of sin. Like in other places, if you like marry this with other parts of the Bible, Jesus obviously does not want us to cut our hands off or feet or our eyes or anything. That would be bad. And so don't do that. He's trying to make the point that, that on the scale of badness and wrongness, sin is so much worse than these things that it would actually make sense logically for you to act that way. But we just, what's the big deal? He's like, it's a really big deal. <laughs> and the thing that uh, just stuck out to me when I was thinking about this, when he's like talking about like, cut your hand off if it's causing you to sin. It'd be better. It'd be better to live without that hand than it would be to enter hell with it. You're like, oh my goodness. You know, how much more like your phone? You know, like we're like, well, I'm not. I mean, we shouldn't cut a hand off. But it's like, yeah, but like we're on our phones all the time with all this stuff or whatever it is, you know, and it doesn't mean phones are all evil. I have one, but I am saying they, they, I don't know. I have one somewhere, but they lead to, uh, I was going to hold it up, but it's, I don't know where it is, but good reading. No, I was kidding. But the, uh, a little more clarification here. The word that's might be in your Bible is Gehenna thrown into Gehenna has been translated as hell in this Bible. We're using NIV and, uh, that was actually a place. It was like a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem and, like, the fires and everyone. And there's a lot of things people draw from this. And we could talk about hell for a long time. And the problem is most of our conceptions of hell are kind of messed up by culture. Like, uh, I have one example of a hell example. Is there an example? There's a slide of a photo, right? There we go. So a lot of our con- – just leave that up for a second. The, um, a lot of our conceptions of what hell is have been so distorted by culture that it's really hard to uh, – get a clear picture on it i think c.s lewis is famous saying the the most difficult thing about describing hell is it's so close to nothing there's not much to talk about or something like that which i like as an illustration and maybe one day we'll talk at length about it but i don't think it really matters for the point that jesus is making here what you think about hell because the the two things that really stick out are this that hell is real and hell is very bad and no matter what conception of what you would, like the word hell and you put dash and you put whatever comes after that based on your understanding of the Bible, whatever you put there, the badness of that, I think is probably more difficult than our minds can conceive. So like when the Bible talks about the good things beyond what even the mind or the heart is like even known. I think hell's probably the same way but the other way around. Like it's darker and deeper than anything you can conceive of. So it should strike terror into your mind even if you, you know, we all have these different views about it. It doesn't matter. It's so bad that it's, it's the worst thing in the world. And I know that I don't have to convince you of this. Because I think that, like, when the kingdom of heaven is breaking in to our world, and we've tasted it. You know, there's a foretaste. There's a now and not yet element to the kingdom of God, which will ultimately be, you know, we'll see in, like, the end of Revelation where it gets described, no more crying, no more pain, no more tears. And they're like, well, there's also a now and not yet aspect to hell. Some of you have tasted pieces of it like those really dark times where you've been like you know this place is real cuz you've you've you know I don't I'm getting illustrative but visited in a way and it just gets worse from there and the trick the trick to this whole thing is that the sin in our lives draws us there like a magnet and Jesus has provided we went through this a couple of weeks ago that thank god for the work of Jesus he gives us freedom from that for all that will call upon his name That's ultimately super important. But the way we live in light of that matters a great deal. And that's where you find in this context here. He's not talking to, like, the lost, if you will. He's talking to, like, his guys, to, like, us, to those that are, like, claiming to follow him. And he's like, you got to get the sin out of your life. We can't live this dual life. Like, how are you going to... You're going to claim that you, you... you're on a mountaintop, you saw God, you saw God. You heard God Almighty's voice speak from a cloud declaring Jesus, and then you're going to live in sin? And this is, I guess, common a lot. I mean, we just try to, like, you know, we, we do whatever we want. We think nobody will see, nobody will know. They know. God knows. And we talk about the battle in the Spirit. It, they know. This is, you don't get away with anything. It's all in a lie that you think you get away with things. You don't get away with anything. And that darkness that you feel close in on your life, that's hell creeping in. And the only way away is to go to the light of Jesus, and he will break through all of that. And it's important that I say, I mean, I I make light with the Homer Simpson in hell thing. This is real. And you have to hear that. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Savior. That's why we use that word Savior, because we're destined there. But we can repent, and he will forgive us. He's faithful and just to forgive. And you see this in verse 49. It says, everyone will be salted with fire. And a lot of times, again, we didn't get in the depths of this, and it doesn't really matter, that fire is an imagery in the Bible is purifying. And there's even an element maybe of that to this, because he's bringing it in. And you see that in Isaiah, where Isaiah sees God, the prophet. He's like, whoa, I see God, and then he's like, I, I'm done because the sin in my life that I know all of a sudden, like when you get in the presence of God, you suddenly, it's like I've described it before. You're like, even if you're like, well, I've got, you know, my life's pretty good or whatever. You, you walk into the presence of God. You're like, I really feel like my shoes are dirty. Like I really need, like you bringing in stuff. And Isaiah felt like that. He says, it's not good because now I'm in God's presence and I'm a person of unclean lips and I, leave em, I live among a people of unclean lips. Like we're liars and we say bad things. And we curse each other. And I'm that way too. And so I understand the Bible well enough that I'm going to die. And probably die, not just physically die, but maybe even spiritually die, which is what this stuff's about, which is way scarier. And so, but God is merciful and he has an angel take a coal from like the holy places where the coal is and he touches it to his mouth and he's like, I made you clean. So that's like the fire that God offers us, the cleansing. But then it says this, which I think is kind of, where this all comes around to, and this is the closing. So whoever's going to play a song at the end, come on up. But this it says this in verse fifty. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? And then he says this: Have salt among yourselves, and be at peace with each other. And I've been thinking about this for like the whole week. Have salt among yourselves. And be at peace with each other. And I'm going to be clear that I don't have a full understanding of what this means. And I read a whole lot of people's interpretations, and they were all like, yeah, I guess. And so I'm going to invite you to kind of step into this yourself in your life. Because this is, I think, God describing uh, what are, you know, that you, you know the other verses. They say, like, you know, you are the salt of the earth and all this kind of stuff. And then you see also, like, salt being part of certain covenants in Leviticus where, you know, they would do certain rituals and sacrifices, and then there was salt involved. Sometimes to represent purification, but sometimes to just represent spice or something like that. And he says to live at peace with each other. Which also seems to say, like, gosh, this seems kind of. I thought we were talking about sin and God and all that. And he's like, live at peace with each other. And you're like, have salt among yourselves. So I would, this is what I got right now. I would say something like this: Salt is good. Like, if we are the salt of the earth, if that's even a fair thing to say, like if God's called us to go in and provide seasoning in, in like these these roles in the world, it's good. But if we lose that, like what like the quote I said at the beginning about like. It's not that important to ask somebody what they believe. It's like, what do you do with that? So beliefs are good. Like having all this stuff is good, but if it loses it, like if if you can't live it out, if you're not, if you've lost the core of the thing that defines us as following Jesus' people, how can you make it salty again? So live it out among yourselves and be at peace with each other. And this is where I wanted to come down to uh, the whole thing. Because I think it's right for us to 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 want to be great. Like, the desire to be great is good. Salt is good. The desire to be great is good. But great means the way Jesus is saying it, that if anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. Which isn't usually on like my definition of great. That isn't usually how I think. I have to think God ways to, to be there, you know. But deep down, when I say that, we all know that's true. We all know the people that we respect the most are servants of all, Jesus being the goat of the, of the goats, you know. But people that are like him, when we read their books, we're like, oh yeah, I, I want to live like that because of how much that person is living like Jesus, you know. Like, I'm not going to do like, a couple years ago, we told everybody to read Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pollinger. I'm not probably going to move to Hong Kong and stuff like she is. But I'm really encouraged by what she did because of because of how Christ-like it is. And I want you to read that because of that. Or like Corey Ten Boom, we just said, like the hiding place. We don't live there. We didn't live during that time. But when we see her and her family, and for me specifically, her father's reaction to a lot of things... Um, I'm convicted and challenged and encouraged by the Christ-likeness. And I was like, I can probably do that in my life. I probably can, you know, by God helping through the unbelief and all this kind of stuff. We just need to be childlike. And, well, let me look here. Everything is possible for the one who believes. If we're listening to him, actually listening to him, as God speaking to us, all hail King Jesus what do you have to say? Anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. And everything is possible for one who believes. What would it be like if we actually believe that? There's this famous Leonard Ravenhill quote where he says, "One of these days, some simple soul will pick up the book of God and read it and believe it, and the rest of us will be embarrassed." I don't want to be embarrassed. You know, one of these days, some simple soul will pick up the book of God, read it, and believe it, and the rest of us will be embarrassed. So I want us to just seek to be servant of all. And Kevin and I just put together, this is, not a, this is another non-exhaustive list. We were just talking the other day and talking about saltiness. This is what I call it, the not-that-hard-to-be-different list. Um... The first one is getting your heart. I put heart. I, I put parenthetically your heart off social media because I know some of us use it for work and all this kind of thing, but I will publicly confess this this week with all the Israel stuff was fine. I just, I, I still used Twitter myself, but I'm not anymore. I, I had to get away from it because it was just, it wasn't, it was making me unsalty <laughs> or salty in the current way we'd use that word. But anyway, my wife said, it just makes you mad. And I was like, okay, so... That's enough of that so I've, I've gotten all of that so but 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 that's just me okay you know i'm not that's not for everybody but we do need to get our hearts off this stuff because this is like some sort of we we've talked about this a hundred times and we'll keep talking about it because i think it's such a great threat to our faith our, our following of jesus that this is like an, this is not a new struggle in the sense of it's the same struggle that humans have always had lust of the eyes lust of the flesh pride of life all this kind of stuff goes back to solomon whatever you know but now it's this weird, like, AI-driven IV into... It's like another level of struggle. And so if your engagement on social media, when you go, when I engage with this, the way I am isn't... And you go, like, the fruit of the Spirit, you probably need to at least take a break. But no matter what, you need to get your heart off this thing. This is the, what that thing says is not who you are. It's a distortion of humanity, everything about it, you know, it can be used for cool things, as John and I talk about, you know, there are, there are plus sides, but there's a lot of dangers, so you got to be careful. The second thing is this, pray, like praying at all, like actually praying, something all of us can do, and it's something so rarely taken advantage of, like that Jesus instructs us so much to pray, and to, you know, Jesus prays so much, and it's so undervalued, you know. And in our society, you know, where people claim, well, I don't even believe in God. And it's like, that's fine. You can claim this all day. And the truth is, God's either real or he isn't. He isn't real because I say so. And he's not real because you say so. He is because he is or he's not. But if you, like me, or if we're like, well, I believe he is. And you're like, well, do you pray? We're like, well, no. But, I mean, sometimes, I, you know, it's like, I thought if you, it's like if you believe it, Like, do it, you know. (laughs) What was the what is this other one? Oh, caring caring about and serving the lost. There's this idea of that self-oriented thing. And being argumentative. As you say about like lose the salt losing its saltiness. Our job is to bring salt to those that don't have any, you know? And childish people are self-oriented, wanting everything for themselves, and argumentative. And Strangely, one of the best solutions to all of that is to just get out of it, to care about other people, you know? And you see that even in the dad with the kid. You know, he's not there because he's like, I, you know, I want you to bless me. I need, he's not even, he's like, my kid is suffering here, you know? And that's why I like that being put beside this because he's caring about somebody else. And you all know that when you care about somebody else, things shift and that does bring out of us qualities that are similar to, God and the last thing is about being a non-anxious presence as things in our world get more topsy-turvy and they will I mean like come on they're gonna get worse like when you talk about how quickly things have changed on our culture's view of like sexuality and gender and stuff I know that's bothersome it's gonna get worse okay like the way people think is gonna become less and less moored to the truth because why wouldn't it you know people go i don't believe in god or your god book or anything it says maybe we should take them like okay that doesn't mean we change you know what god says about sexuality what god says about gender these things don't change but me expecting you who say you don't believe any of this to act like you do you see how it's like it's going to get further that way you know we do have the salt and we can give it to people maybe not everybody Maybe not you know a million people online or whatever, but you can give it to a handful of them, and we can do this, and we will win. But a big way of having to do that is going to be by being this non-anxious presence. And go to the next slide. This is still, this is the book. I did tell everybody to read this. I did continue to recommend that everybody read this. He describes the Christian posture in this age as the world goes down that route, and they will, they absolutely will, because when you disconnect. From the truth, you remember on Mount Sinai, the, the Israelites. It's you know who you are because you know whose you are, and they're like, unplug that one. Well, who am I? And like, it was like, there's no answer anymore. And they have to find it somewhere, and they find it. They're going to find it all over the place. And this is actually something that should cause us to have sympathy, and like sadness at the brokenness of this whole situation. They're lost. And they don't know, and they're in darkness, and they're doing things to themselves, even to their bodies, which are very destructive. And us turning at them and hating them, it doesn't reflect the heart of Jesus at all, but the whole thing is the further you get from the light, the further you get into the darkness, the further you get into the hell that I was describing, you feel more and more lost, not less lost. You feel more lost. You're like, I'm freer, right? And it's more and more trapped. Freer, right? More and more trapped. And it's gonna get worse for people. And it does get worse for people. We're seeing suicide rates of young people go like through the roof. And they don't all know why. A lot of it is because of the role social media is having right now. But we have answers to these things. And, but do we believe it? Like, it's easier for me to just stand over here and be really mad at how you're acting and wish you would act differently. And then it brings out of us, it brings out of me. i I'm I'll confess to you, it brings out of me anger, things like that. We all get mad at different people, but we're all, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm very justified in my anger. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I, on the other hand, my anger is accurate. To, you know, and we, you get distorted into this crazy, you know, we're the guys now. Now we're arguing over who's the greatest. And it's just, we're doing the same stuff. And Jesus is like, serve them. Get out there. And as the world becomes more anxious, Mark Sayers in that book describes that if we could just be non-anxiously reaching out to people, we might change the world. And God might use that to bring a great awakening. Can't say, thus saith the Lord, but at least I have hope for it. And I want us to be continually seeking the presence of God. Show this Asbury picture again. I'm going to keep bringing this up that we saw a few months ago God do something special at Asbury University. And it's not about that building. I don't even think it's about the place. And I don't even particularly think it has anything to do with the individuals that were there, though that's great. But what it does do is, is God saying, in a very unlikely place, I'm going to go... And it changed a lot of stuff. And that's how God is when he when He does things. You know, we can try as hard as we can to have all sorts of programs or all sorts of, you know Services or whatever, but if the presence of God isn't there, it doesn't really do much. But you can have nothing in the presence of God and have everything. And I want us to, as people, let's commit to being servants to those that, servant of all. That's what it says. Servant of all. Now, you can define all however you want, but I'm pretty sure it means what it's that, like that one made it through the translation, all right? All. Servant of all, just like our Lord is. But moving with his power and seeking his presence among us so as we close i'm going to pray and then if you need prayer we'll have a prayer team by the back wall um, available to pray for people and uh, if you need to spend some time with god we always have these front steps as like our altar place that you can come and spend time praying alone with god and uh, they'll lead us in this worship song and let's just commit to to these things so father we, we do commit i pray that we would be childlike I pray that we would put childish ways behind us, but that we would live childlike lives for the sake of those around us that you have called us to reach, that you have elected us to reach. You've given us the salt to bring to people. And Father, I pray that uh, we would be willing to be servants of all and, not, and help us with our unbelief, Lord because we believe your word. We believe that you'll do everything. We believe in all these things, but we also see a lot of darkness around us. So help us with our unbelief and set us free, Lord. And Lord, bring your presence in our midst when we gather, that we would believe in the power of your name to set the captives free and to bring healing and resolution to situations that otherwise do not have them. And we pray that you would do miracles in our midst. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.